Welcome to Ohio Matters, the Cleveland.com politics podcast. I'm Seth Richardson. And I'm Andrew Spice. And as always, thanks for listening. Special thanks goes out to the Cleveland Public Library for making this podcast possible. If you have a creative endeavor and you want to see how the library can help, visit cpl.org. Again, that is cpl.org. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to this podcast. We're on your favorite podcasting services like iTunes, Google Play, and TuneIn. And when you do that, be sure to rate and review us. It helps other people find this show. And if you have any feedback, go ahead and send that my way. It's srichardson at cleveland.com. Again, that is srichardson at cleveland.com. This week on the preview special of the election for Ohio Matters, we've got the always wonderful to have on the podcast, Kyle Condon. Kyle, thanks so much for joining. Thanks for having me. All right. So are you excited about Election Day coming up in the next couple of days? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, we, we talk about these races for months and months and months and uh, finally get to see some results. And also, you know, with this election out of the way, we could get the next one started. Yeah. So It's like a never-ending cycle. Uh, just to just as an FYI, I think that uh, when Jeb Bush announced his presidential campaign, it was like mid-December 2014, which was to me sort of the symbolic start of that presidential race. So that's a way of saying that we're going to see some announcements coming, I would say, maybe maybe after Thanksgiving, but not that far after Thanksgiving in terms of the presidential starting. There's going to be at least a zillion wait. Democrats running. So just FYI. Yeah, at least they wait until after Thanksgiving. I, I'm personally thankful for that, if that yeah, thought to be true. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah I, I I concur. Yeah, so we've uh, we've obviously got some pretty interesting races going on here in Ohio. Um, and you know you're a pretty good expert on Ohio. Uh, we just kind of wanted to you know go through all the races, see what you're seeing, maybe discuss them a little bit. Uh, so we're going to go ahead and start with the governor's race, which I don't know. You know, I've I've looked at uh, some of the forecasting. It seems like this governor's race might be one of the closest, if not the closest, in the nation uh, between Richard Cordray and Mike Dewine. What do you kind of see in there? What do you think of it? Um, I agree that it seems really close. And just as a matter of full disclosure, which I always say, I used to work for Cordray when he was attorney general in 09 and, and 2010. Um, he and DeWine seem to be locked in a very close contest. And one interesting thing I've been picking up on in recent days in terms of some of the internal polling, I think basically everything shows that it's close. But I, I'm getting the sense that that Cordray is doing better in the Republican polls than the Democratic ones, um, mm -hmm. which I think just tells you that I think both sides are being pretty cautious as to how they're trying to project the electorate, because, you know, ultimately the, the, the polling game is about making assumptions. And, you know, I think we are in Ohio. We do have a, a state that is sort of in has a lot of voters in transition. Uh, you know, I think particularly in the eastern part of the state, you, you've seen a lot of traditional Democrats kind of move toward the Republicans and particularly toward Donald Trump, although that was happening before Trump. And uh, in some of the kind of uh, affluent suburban areas, particularly in central Ohio, but certainly parts of northeast Ohio, too. I think if you look at places like um, Westlake and Rocky River, um, you know, those places, I think, like someone like Mitt Romney more than, than they, they like Donald Trump. So you, then you, you may have some traditional Republicans going going the other way uh, toward the Democrats. And it may be that both sides are having difficulty kind of figuring out exactly what the electorate's going to look like and what that means for their candidate. But I think for a long time, it seemed like Mike DeWine had, had like a basically a small kind of small lead within the margin of error. My sense is that now it's basically just a total tie. Um, and I would, I'm anticipating a pretty close result. You know, the, the two of them had a, uh, I think that the race in 
2010 for attorney general was decided by about uh, a, a point and a quarter. And, uh, you know, that this very well could be something similar to that. Uh, the 2010 governor's race between Ted Strickland and John Kasich was a two point race, too. And um, that that might be where we're, we're headed in this race. Yeah, there's been some like telling signs of just how close it is. I look at um, the messaging coming from DeWine because I think, like you said, everybody sort of assumed that DeWine had kind of a slight uh, non-incumbent incumbent advantage, you know, just for being around the state for so long. But I look at the messaging from that race, uh, from the Republican on that side, and it seems to be kind of all over the place, whereas uh, Democrats really seem to have kind of hit their stride with health care. I don't know. Does that does that tell you anything that they, uh, they haven't been able to find find an exact message and kind of stick to it? I mean, it seems like they're trying to test all over the place and maybe find their sweet spot. Uh, one thing that I think has been a sort of a consistent theme across DeWine's messaging has been sort of a law and order message. Um, and in fact, there was just a group that, that came up, uh, that came out with an ad. Um, I don't even exactly know who's connected, who's connected to the group, but it was a kind of a tough ad against Cordray about, um, um, uh, 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 uh victim of, of uh, 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 sexual assault uh, uh, in something dealing dealing with the attorney general's office and my point is not to is not to say the ad is accurate or inaccurate or whatever my point is just to say that um, between that and some of the the messaging from DeWine about rape kits and what have you um, and, and from when Cordray was attorney general is that I think that that DeWine has has, has seen that that he's a maybe either he's stronger or Cordray is a little bit weaker with um, some with women voters, um, particularly suburban women voters, and that that's that that um, Cordray needs to sort of shore that up in order to win. And some of DeWine's messaging and the messaging from DeWine's allies has been specifically targeted at that demographic to try to depress Cordray's support with that um, with that group. And so again, I I, I think you're right in that uh, I think DeWine has tried to throw a lot at, at Cordray, but I, I think there has been at least in part of it, a consistent theme. And, and that theme is, 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 is targeting toward, um, women voters. And, you know, in a lot of places, it seems like women voters, um, you know, non-white women and also, um, particularly white women who have a four-year college degree really, really don't like the president and really want to vote democratic this year. Um, but maybe they'll make some exceptions for someone like Mike DeWine and, and that might be a way for him to, um, for him to win. I think with, with Cordray, you've seen, um, not as much, not, not much of a focus on cultural issues, which I think is smart. Um, I think particularly in a state like Ohio, um, sort of a more economic f focused message, uh, is probably the, the better way to go. Um, because I think that particularly to claw back some of those traditional democratic turned Republican voters in Eastern Ohio, um, they are probably culturally conservative, but they also, um, are not really, um, you know, classic conservative supply side economic believers. I think they're, they're probably pretty moderate or maybe even kind of liberal on economic issues. And so, um, I think Cordray has been focusing on some of that. I know he did an ad about, uh, um, I think it was vocational training, um, and uh, which which I think is sort of targeted at that that kind of white working class group where Democrats have been weak, and also there's healthcare, and I mean healthcare has been just this huge issue, and it's a topical one in Ohio because of John Kasich agreeing to Medicaid expansion, and 
um, you know, I think that that uh, um, the future of Medicaid expansion is something that um, I don't necessarily know if, if DeWine would do away with it. But but, you know, I think Cordray is sort of just more generally supportive of the Affordable Care Act and its various tenants, as, as you would as you would imagine. Uh, than than DeWine is, and and so that's been a again healthcare has been a big thing for Democrats all across the country, and we've seen that with with uh, with Cordray as well. So you mentioned that suburban women are not crazy about Trump. Well, so uh, Trump announced that he's coming to Ohio on on Monday, the day before the election. So with, as of now, it's a few days from now, so we don't know how it's going to turn out. But um, the White House actually has kind of indicated that they're sending him in not for the Senate race, which we'll get to in a little bit, but maybe more for the House race or for the governor's race. And you've seen Trump tweet about Richard Cordray and compare him to Elizabeth Warren and stuff like that. Um, so what I want to ask you is, do you think that Trump coming here to help DeWine is going to help him? Um, you know, DeWine has managed to keep the race about local issues. And while he's not against Trump, he hasn't hugged him like maybe you see some statewide Republican candidates in other places of the country. So what do you make of all that? Um, it's interesting. You think he's going to the IX Center, which is um, in the heart of if there's such a thing as Trump country in Cuyahoga County, um, I would say the West Side is 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 it. I mean, you saw um, in some of those inner ring suburban areas that uh, the president did pretty well and better than better than uh, um, Republicans typically do. But again, in some of the more kind of the the, the more the tonier suburbs, um, you saw Trump do not so not so well. And um, I I would think that for as many people as he engages, he probably turns off an equal number. I. It seems like the last days of this election are becoming more and more about Trump. And I don't know if that's really the right place for Republicans to be, at least in a lot of states. Um, I, you know, I think that Trump going to some of these like dark red Republican states that have Democratic Senate incumbents like, uh, you know, Montana and Missouri and Indiana, those are some of the real key Senate battlegrounds. That sort of makes more sense to me than than Trump being in Ohio the day before the election. Maybe I'm wrong about that. And um but also, you know, I think some of the people who voted for Trump, who maybe had voted Democratic in the past, maybe are not necessarily Mike DeWine voters. In fact, some of those people have probably voted against Mike DeWine in the past. Um, can Trump kind of bring them along? I don't know. And does Trump also remind some people who don't like him um, why they don't like him and maybe spur them to vote Democratic in this election? I also, I just also, I mean, obviously campaigns are going to going to do what they can in terms of bringing in high profile surrogates. And there's no more high profile surrogate for anyone than, than the president is on, on you know, wh whoever the president is. Um, but I also don't know that there's a you can really say that these visits have much effect one way or the other. I mean, like, remember back in 2016, there was, you know, certainly the Clinton campaign focused a lot on Cleveland and on uh, African-American turnout and really African-American turnout was not what it needed to be for Democrats in Ohio, um, both in Cleveland and elsewhere and also across the Midwest. Um, so from that standpoint, those events that they did, you know, with LeBron and with Jay-Z and all that stuff that I remember, I don't think you could really go back and look and say, oh, well, that that had X effect. Um, and I don't know if you can if we'll be able to look at this um, at this visit and say that it that it had much of an effect one way or the other. Um, I guess I guess when we get the final results, we can maybe look specifically at the west side and in, in Cuyahoga County and see how DeWine did compared to the past. But it may also be that that area is maybe just trending Republican anyway. So um, I, I just I, we, obviously these, these visits get a lot of focus. It's a big deal for the president to come to your community. Um, and again, that's regardless of who, whatever president it is. Uh, but I don't know how many votes were really moving here. 
So another interesting development in that race is that kind of on the other end of the Republican spectrum, you know, Ohio Governor John Kasich just endorsed DeWine and cut an ad for him and also announced that they're going to be doing uh, an event together and it's going to be coming out around the time this podcast is released. So what, what do you make of that? I mean, what's that's obviously a much different message and a much different messenger. Yeah. And and, and um, look, the governor is still popular in Ohio, but um, at least as far as I, I we haven't had a ton of public polling recently in the state. But my understanding has been that, that Kasich is more popular with Democrats and Republicans. And so actually Kasich may very well be a good a, a, a good surrogate for DeWine with sort of squishy Republicans who maybe like Kasich but don't like the president and and maybe maybe could be inclined to vote for uh, DeWine. But again, I also don't know um, how much that actually actually matters. Although I think for DeWine, you'd rather have um, you'd rather have Kasich's uh, uh, endorsement than not having his endorsement. And also, um, you know, the combination of Trump and Kasich speaking to different pieces of the. Republican voter base in the state, maybe, you know, might might have some positive effect for DeWine. But I, it's, again, it's a, it's a hard thing to try to quantify. It's probably worth noting also that uh, with the whole Kasich rollout, they did cut two ads with Kasich, but they are definitely hiding them online, uh, despite, you know, putting just about every other ad under the sun up on TV. I don't know if uh, there's anything to read into that or not, though. Well, I, I wonder if and I don't I don't know what their strategy is and how they logistically do this, but I do wonder if they will target some of these things digitally to places like yeah. um for instance, Ohio's 12th congressional district, which is effectively Kasich's old district, the lines are slightly different than when Kasich was was in, in Congress. But um, that's a place where uh, you know Kasich is really beloved. Trump maybe not so much, uh, and and so I think there may be opportunities through um, maybe social media or what have you to target those ads specifically in I would say you know uh, uh, affluent suburban places that are typically Republican but don't like Trump. So it seems like it's uh, pretty safe to say that this one is about as true a toss-up as you can get, right? Uh, I, I do, I do believe that that is the case. Yeah, um, and uh, you know, I think that the other statewide down ballot races are are very competitive too. Um, at this point, I'd be surprised if we saw a sweep. Uh, you know, the each side winning all five of the the statewide races. I'm setting the Senate race aside here. But talking about attorney general, auditor, treasurer, secretary of state, uh, there's there seems to be a belief amongst some observers that, that Dave Yost, uh, the re Republican auditor who is running for attorney general, may be the Republican in the best position in those races. Um, on the Democratic side, uh, I hear differing opinion. Some people think that Zach Space, the Democratic auditor candidate, former congressman, is in a good position. Uh, different things about the Secretary of State's race. I think the overall point is these races are all really close, and um, there will be some deviation from the governor's race, but they all may have featured somewhat similar kinds of results. Do you get Capital Letter? It's the must-have daily read for State House happenings. Five mornings a week, Cleveland.com provides a daily intelligence briefing filled with succinct, timely information. It's perfect for people, businesses, and organizations that care about decisions made by lawmakers, the governor, and all of state government. From breaking news to rumblings in the rotunda, if you're not getting capital letter, you're missing out. For more information, visit Cleveland.com slash capital letter. That's Cleveland.com slash C-A-P-I-T-O-L-L-E-T-T-E-R. 
So kind of moving off the the state level elections, you know, we, we haven't really talked about the Senate race. And I, I think we focused on the governor's race because it was closer. And the Senate race obviously does not appear to be as close. So but what, what do you see as being the big factors at play there? Uh, I give uh, the Sherrod Brown campaign a lot of credit for basically not letting up. Um, because I think they've run a very aggressive race. And I do think that, that Jim Renacci has not really run that aggressive a race or um, it just doesn't seem like he's particularly well funded. He hasn't been able to really engage the national Republican outside groups to really spend on his behalf. Um, but the, the the Sherrod Brown team is leaving nothing to chance, I, I don't think. And um, Brown does seem in a, in a pretty good position to win. I'm you know I'm curious about the eventual margin. I think some of these polls have indicated that it could be double digits. I I guess I'd be surprised if it was double digits, just because, you know, Ohio is a center right state. And um, but but then again, uh, you know, I think I think Brown won by six in 2012 and by maybe about a dozen points in. 2006 against Mike DeWine, who was the incumbent back then, you know, maybe the final number lands somewhere in between there. I will say if, if Brown wins by by more than 10, uh, you know, you'd think that, that that could provide some some positive coattails for the rest of the Democratic ticket, because if if Brown is clearly over 50 percent, all of all the Democratic statewides need to do is get shared Brown voters to vote for them, um, which is not a given. Uh, you know, you'd expect Sherrod Brown to, to lead the ticket. Um, but uh, uh you know that does give that does does give those other candidates, be it Cordray or the others, uh, a, a path. I don't want to do too much of a pre-mortem here because we, of course, don't know what's going to happen on Tuesday. But uh, do you think that another Republican candidate would have done better than Renacci appears to be doing? You know, there's Josh Mandel, obviously, but even there was some talk about J.D. Vance getting in there, sort of like this new guy, or Mary Taylor was offered uh, to switch over to the race and she declined. So, do you think any of those candidates would have done better, or do you think it was just kind of long odds against someone like Sherrod Brown in general? Um, I do think that Brown sort of established himself as a pretty formidable incumbent. Um, but let me let me put it this way. Um, I don't think any of those other candidates would be doing worse. Um, and I'll just leave it at that. Um, and also, I mean, I think if, if Governor Kasich had decided to run, I, I would think that this would be an extremely close race. Um, but I don't, you know, the, he, he didn't really express much interest in, in doing that. Um, but it would have been a, a coup for Republicans if they could have got him. Although I do wonder if he even could have gotten through a, a Republican primary. Um, but yeah, just the, the, Renacci's campaign just never seemed to to uh, to get going. And so we're at a point where um, it would be a shock if Renacci won. Um, and, uh, um, you know, that's the, the, that 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 it didn't seem like this race was going to be as much of a runaway as it sort of has developed into, um, at the start of the cycle. Kasich versus Kasich in the Senate race was sort of my pet theory. I thought it kind of made the most sense. And obviously I guess I was alone on that one, but there are some egos at play with sort of like the factionalization of the Republican party and, you know, Governor yeah. Kasich's ego is, uh, its own, you know, entity. Uh, so, but nonetheless, it's, that, that was sort of like my, my thing that just never really happened. Yeah. And look, I think that the, the governor, um, has sort of national aspirations still and probably didn't see the Senate race as being particularly attractive. And um, I don't think it would have been a sure thing that he would have beaten Sherrod Brown, by the way, either. I think, it, but, but I think that, that we would be talking about a, a race that was highly competitive at this point instead of one that has not seemed to be highly competitive based on the data that we have. Speaking of highly competitive, uh, we have some surprisingly competitive House districts in this state, especially given all the gerrymandering that we see. Um, 
looking at some of the ratings from uh, uh, Salvador's Crystal Ball, um, Ohio's first congressional district, that's down in Cincinnati, is Leans R. That's the race between Aftab Puravall and Steve Shabbat. Ohio's 12th congressional district also Leans R. That is between uh, Republican Troy Balderson and Democrat Danny O'Connor in the Columbus suburbs area. And I also wanted to bring up um, another one, um, Ohio's 7th Congressional District, which is – it's actually the likely R right now. But uh, we I've seen some things in there that I kind of wanted to discuss with you. Um, we'll get to that in just a second. So, um, you know, just going through the 1st and the 12th are obviously probably the most competitive in the state. What do you think uh, – you know, what, what are you seeing going forward? I mean are you seeing movement there or have Democrats kind of topped out uh, – um, you know, at their uh, have they have they peaked? I guess is the question. Certainly, um, the the state's congressional districts are drawn in such a way that that they're designed to elect twelve Republicans and four Democrats, and that's what they have faithfully done um, over the last three cycles. This is th- this will put that this election will put that map to the test uh, because it's a much it's a more Democratic leaning environment than than twelve, fourteen, or sixteen um, was or were. Um, I think the I think the one that has the potential to be the closest is Ohio 12. You know, we did just have this race back in August. Um, Troy Balderson won, but by less than a percentage point. Um, Balderson has not been a great fundraiser. He is not getting the level of outside support that he got in the special election. O'Connor has run, you know, basically just kept running after the special election. Uh, and I kind of have thought that in a higher turnout environment, um, Balders than, than the special. The special had had good turnout. It, it'll be higher in the in the in in November on on Tuesday. Um, I've just have thought that that you know O'Connor benefited from sort of a turnout imbalance where the most Democratic, most anti-Trump parts of Ohio 12, basically the parts of that district closest to Columbus, turned out at a disproportionate rate in the special and was allowed O'Connor to get close. My thinking is that the rural turnout will sort of balance out a little bit and that that would benefit Balderson because he did really well outside of the Franklin County parts of the district and some parts of, of Delaware County, which is uh, also sort of affluent suburban areas that, that t- traditionally Republican but don't really like the president much. But I got to say, I, you know, I, I definitely think an upset is, is very possible in Ohio 12. Um, Ohio 1 has been seems like it's been moving away from Aftab Pirival, the Democratic candidate, and towards Steve Shabbat, the Republican incumbent. Um, Pirival has had a lot of difficulties in terms of uh, some of the stories that have come out about him and his campaign. It, there was a story about him uh, basically using his local political account. He's the uh, um, clerk of courts in Hamilton County, um, it, using his his his. Uh, local account to pay for a poll that was basically about the congressional race, which is some legal questions about about that. Uh, and then there was this. There's been this recent story about about uh, Provol having to let his, some his campaign manager and another staffer go based on some sort of amorphous accusations about them trying to do something shady involving the, the Shabbat campaign. And again, I don't, I don't know the specifics up that well, but. Um, the bottom line is that the, the trajectory of that race, I don't think, has been particularly positive for Perval. And yet, there's still a lot of outside money engaged in Ohio 1. I would not rule out an upset, but if one of the Ohio seats is going to flip, I'd probably pick Ohio 12. One other seat I wanted to mention that uh, we haven't mentioned is, is Ohio 14, which is a Northeast Ohio seat uh, that has some of the sort of east side 
Cleveland suburbs and goes up to Ashtabula and has, you know, some some northeast Ohio going down closer to uh, um, to the Youngstown Warren area. Um, I, you know, I think that, that, that Dave Joyce, the incumbent there, is probably going to be OK. Uh, but, you know, it, it, the district in some ways does have some of the characteristics of some of the places where um, Republicans have, have been struggling this year, although that race doesn't seem to have engaged in a national way the way that Ohio 1 and Ohio 12 have. Joyce seemed to kind of get out ahead of, uh, you know, he's, he seemed to be a forward thinker uh, for this campaign yes, cycle. Um, you know, he put out that commercial really, I think it was about two and a half months ago, even before the campaign really picked up about how, oh, you know, he bucks the party and uh, he supports pre-existing conditions. And um, definitely, he definitely had some forethought with that because as we've seen in the past couple of months, it seems like every Republican on earth is trying to run a commercial about how they support pre-existing conditions. So um, right. I, I think that's probably, that was probably a pretty smart move by him. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. Uh, and Joyce also comes from what has been sort of a tradition there established by Steve LaTourette, the late Steve LaTourette, um, of sort of a, a Republican incumbent from that district who is maybe a little bit more centrist than the bulk of the rest of the Republican caucus. Uh, so again, you know, I, I'm, and, and we've also seen that in near the end of the campaign here, that Republican outside groups are, are seeing like kind of an expanding battlefield. And so you're seeing them have to put money into certain races here and there. Um, I don't think that that has happened in the Joyce seat, which um, is, is probably a good sign for his reelection prospects. Yeah, I know for me, in the absence of a lot of polling and, uh, you know, Ohio congressional di- congressional districts are pretty lightly polled. And then Ohio's are particularly and I, I use the outside money as kind of like a proxy for polling. And so it's been interesting. I, I agree with you. You know, Betsy Rader's been well-funded and Dave Joyce isn't exactly like a dynamo or anything like that. But at the same time, the, the lack of the outside groups getting into that race um, says to me that if they saw something there, they'd be more likely to get in there. But I, again, I guess you really never know. Yeah, that's right. And and there isn't a lot of data about these races. And sometimes, you know, the, the camp, the, the party committees and the campaigns pay a lot of money for polling and for analytics about these races. But sometimes they, they don't always make the right decisions either. But um, I do think you look at the totality of what's going on and, and say that that uh, Joyce is, is probably in a pretty decent position. That's a pretty good transition into the 7th Congressional District with Ken Harbaugh and Bob Gibbs. You talk about the totality. There is a little bit of polling over there, but it's all internal. So, you know, you got to take it with a grain of salt. That district is very red. It It's obviously drawn for Bob Gibbs. I believe it's like an R plus 26 on the partisan index or whatever. Um, but Democrat Ken Harbaugh has been raising a bunch of money. Um, he's been all over the place, basically campaigning, traveling every day, kind of an old gumshoe sort of uh, campaign, um, you know, like an old school style. And, you know, initially I looked at that race and I thought, well, you know, it's it's maybe a good case study of like, hey, can, you know, can the quote unquote, uh, the Democrat that fits the district do well in a district that's drawn for Republicans? Over the past couple of days, though, I've seen a couple things that I want to get your take on. So the House Majority Pack has decided to go into that district. Um, that is the super PAC that's sort of affiliated with Nancy Pelosi. They've dropped about $150,000 in mailers over the past two weeks. Um, you've seen Gibbs um, kind of angling to get on stage with Mike Pence. Um, I don't know if he's going to try to get on stage with like Trump um, when he comes to Cleveland or not, but Eric Trump is also going into the district to campaign. Um, I don't know how effective a campaigner Eric Trump is, but I guess we'll find out. Um, given all those movements, I mean, it, it is there something that like we're not seeing more broadly in that district and we're just ignoring because of how Republican it is? 
Certainly possible, and I do think Harbaugh's run run a good campaign and and and, a, and a, an aggressive, um, active campaign. You know, I I do tend to think that the district just seems too Republican to elect a Democrat these days. Uh, but the fact that you are seeing some outside intervention in various ways is a suggestion that it's relatively close. You know, Harbaugh um, uh, put out, uh, I think it was a couple of different polls recently that showed him down in sort of the mid to high single digits. Usually when you're trailing in your own internal polling, that's not really a good sign. But then again, this is not a district that should otherwise be competitive. And so I give him credit for running and I give him credit for being active. I just I'd be pretty surprised if he ended up winning. Um, but uh, but, you know, I agree with you that there has been some activity and sort of telling activity that it, it may be kind of closer than maybe you'd otherwise think. So given the sort of trend of some of these congressional districts, that seems like it should bode well for, um, you know, obviously Sherrod Brown is doing, you know, just fine in his race. But it, it should like to wrap this all up. It should bode well for Richard Cordray in the governor's race. If you have Democrats excited and they're excited to go vote for Democratic congressional candidates, why do you think it has like you've seen this movement in like individual races, but the um, statewide races still, you know, kind of maintain that 50 50 uh, split right now? Well, we you know we could be we could be in, a, in an environment where there's there are some sort of counter or counteracting trends happening uh, across the state. Like I would love to know what, um, and I don't I don't maybe there is polling about this, but that's not not something that I have seen. You know how how the Democratic ticket is doing in uh, Mahoning and Trumbull counties. You know historically. Um, very democratic, going back to the New Deal uh, in in you know Youngstown and Warren, and and yet uh, Trump won Trumbull County and and came very close to winning Mahoning County. Um, you know what if what if the situation is that maybe the Democrats are weaker there than than they have been historically, but they're making up for that in places like like Ohio 12, for instance, which uh, you know is historically bedrock Republican territory that that uh, you know just very nearly elected a Democrat in a special election in August, and um, that may be part of the challenge here is that we're seeing different trends in different parts of the state. But I will tell you that if Ken Harbaugh is, you know, let's say that's let's say that's a single digit race between him and Bob Gibbs, which would be a pretty impressive performance for Harbaugh. Um, if if Cordray and the other statewide Democrats are coming close to matching Harbaugh in a district like that, that would probably be suggestive of them doing pretty well statewide, because that's not a place that where um, where Democrats, you know, at least didn't do well in in uh, in 2016, in 2016, although you got to remember um, when you go from Obama winning by three to Trump winning by eight, there are a lot of places that shifted quite a bit. Um, and I, I'd say that, that was most notable in the eastern part of the state. Um, Democrats can't get blown out there the way that Hillary Clinton got blown out. And it, perhaps if Harbaugh is doing well, that might be a sign that, that they're not getting blown out in that part of the state, which uh, um, makes the state winnable uh, at, at the statewide level. So I've noticed, and I'm working on a story about this that hasn't published yet, or maybe it'll be out by the time this podcast is released, but I've, I've noticed there's been a larger share of early votes coming out of some of the suburban counties, um, like Butler County and Warren County, which encapsulate the suburbs between Dayton and Cincinnati, Medina County, which I guess is sort of like exurban from Cleveland and, and uh, Akron, and um, uh, Lake County, which you know you mentioned is the 14th district area that um, th that we were talking about earlier. So I was wondering if if the suburbs end up 
uh, playing a big role in this election or those counties particularly on the one hand you know you might say that those uh, counties have voted Republican in the past the president's not on the ballot so maybe that's good on the other hand you know you've seen Republicans have weakness in suburban areas so I I guess what I want to ask you is how much of a role do you think that suburban voters are going to play in the election in Ohio this year I think they play a very significant role Um, Lake County is a good um kind of bellwether county for the for the state it's it's maybe a little bit more republican than the statewide average usually but um that's a that's a that's a competitive place now some of those other counties you mentioned particularly warren and butler are just blood red counties but um there have been some sort of anecdotal signs of sort of democratic energy in those places, even though they're overall Republican. I would say that if you're seeing heavy early voting in those places, that's probably better overall for the Republican ticket um, than than for the Democratic one. But we also don't necessarily know the mix of voters who are coming out. And also, you know, we have sort of a loose form of party registration or, or party affiliation in Ohio. Uh, you know, you're a Republican. If you took a Republican primary ballot in the most recent election, you're a Democrat. If you took a Democratic primary ballot, um, there are going to be a lot of people who are, quote, Republicans who vote Democratic. And there are probably going to be some people who are, quote, Democrats who are going to vote Republican. Uh, So that doesn't really tell us all that much. Um, it, It also seems like the and this was true in the Ohio 12 election, that the first results we get on election night may may very well be Democratic-leaning because um, Democrats seem to place more of a focus on the early vote. That was also true in 2016 in that uh, when the first votes came in in Ohio and it was a big chunk of early votes, the state looked like it was going to be very close. And then, then election day came in and, and Trump just swamped Clinton on election day in Ohio and, and in other places. You know, is that the kind of trend we're going to see this time? I mean, and, and, and that was the case in Ohio 12 as well, where uh, uh, Danny O'Connor got off to a really big lead and then the result got closer and closer and closer and Balderson ended up winning. Uh, that's something useful to uh, to remember when watching the results in Ohio that um, the first votes that come in may end up being much more democratic than what the actual results are going to be. Well, Kyle, we always love having you on the show to talk about Ohio politics. Um, you know, part of the problem with us, though, is we tend to think we're the center of the universe. There is a whole slew of elections going on nationwide. Give us the uh, one race outside of Ohio that you think is uh, exciting and people should maybe keep an eye on. Uh, I think if you just go next door um, on Ohio's western border to Indiana, the Indiana Senate race I think is really, really important. It's one of these um, red state uh, places that has a Democratic Senate incumbent, Joe Donnelly. Um, I think if Donnelly loses, it probably means that Republicans are certainly holding the Senate and may very well be adding um, a seat or two or even more to their 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 current uh, 51-49 majority. If Donnelly wins, it might allow Democrats to hold the line in the Senate, which would really be quite an achievement for them this year, given that the overall Senate map is is very favorable to Republicans. And that's why even in a year where Democrats are better than 50-50 to win the U.S. House, they should pick up a number of state governorships, and Ohio is one of their big targets. Um, the Republicans are favored in the Senate because of the fact that Democrats are defending uh, 26 of the 35 Senate seats on the ballot this year, uh, and um, a lot of their most vulnerable incumbents are on the ballot. Now, Republicans have not expanded the Senate playing field to the degree that they would have liked. I mean, I'm sure they would have loved for Ohio to be super competitive in Michigan and Pennsylvania and Wisconsin, but Democrats all seem to be leading in those places. However, the Republicans still do have a lot of targets, uh, more than the Democrats do. Uh, and again, Indiana is one uh, important place to look. 
All right, Kyle, thank you so much for joining us on Ohio Matters. Thanks for having me. 